time. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good evening to everyone. We will go ahead and get started. Great to see everybody. If y'all would go ahead and be turning to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to continue our discussion that we were kind of in the middle of last Wednesday and dealing with anxiety, finding some coping mechanisms when we have those moments where anxiety is trying its best to take over. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. And Elijah, I believe, at this point in time in his life is, is dealing with depression. He's kind of moved past the, the anxiety phase. And I think um, depression has set in for Elijah. And so God is um, doing an intervention, if you will, for Elijah to try to get his mind right again and, and give him the strength that he needs emotionally, spiritually, physically to carry out the end of his earthly mission. Uh, he's getting you know, kind of near the end, but the Lord has a few more things for him to do. But as you well know, Elijah at this point in time is despondent. He's had this great victory a, a chapter earlier on the top of Mount Carmel. Probably was hoping this would usher in a period of spiritual renewal um, with the nation. And that has not been the case. Um, I'm sure he had maybe in his mind a hope that after this fantastic show of God's power um, over the, the false gods of Baal that um, Ahab and Jezebel had embraced and had led the nation into idolatry, maybe he was hoping that Ahab and Jezebel themselves would um, repent and, and turn back to where they needed to be and then provide the leadership for the entire nation to follow suit. The exact opposite, of course, as you know, has happened. Jezebel has put a hit out on Elijah's life. She wants him to suffer the same fate that her 450 prophets had suffered at the top of the mountain. Elijah now is running for his life into the wilderness. Uh, you remember, um, I've mentioned this before, but it's not really a side note uh, when you think about what Elijah how he processes um, and, and the things that he says about uh, how he's feeling and what he's going through in chapter 20 and chapter 19 and verse 3 it says, and when he saw that, meaning verse 2, then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, talking about her slain prophets that were mentioned in verse 1, by tomorrow about this time. So she wants him dead in less than 24 hours. Verse 3, when he saw that, he arose, went for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And that is no side note. I think that is an important, you know, one of the things that anxiety, depression do, and we've mentioned this already, one of um, the ways that it robs us is it robs us of the desire uh, to spend the time with those that we love, those that can maybe help us work through the issues that we're going through, what um, anxiety and depression do sometimes. We were talking about that fight, flight, freeze, those three ways that we respond to danger. And sometimes with anxiety and depression, it's this freeze, and, and you feel debilitated, you feel helpless, you feel hopeless. And one of the things that it is 
um, clouding you from doing is seeing the importance of reaching out, of keeping those, uh, those connections with family and friends, and, and you're not spending sometimes the time socially that might be able to, to help you through what is going on. So it would have benefited Elijah to take his servant with him into the wilderness. He did not. And you remember when he's making the case for why he wants God to kill him, what's one of the things that he says concerning his situation that was not accurate? I alone am left that is in service to you. And I've mentioned this before in a, a lesson or a class. You know, if his servant had been sitting there when he said that, I have a feeling the servant would have, really, you're all by yourself? Hey, am I invisible? I'm right here with you. I've been running out into this wilderness right there beside you. And so Elijah's all by himself, and he's, he's struggling with um, what I think is, is a, a period of depression. And he's, he's already gone through these um, thoughts in his mind. The, the last part of verse 10, chapter 19, I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So verse 11, God says, Go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Someone tell me, what do you think this means? The Lord not being in the, uh, the strong wind. The Lord not being in the fire, the Lord not being in the earthquake. All three times it specifies that the Lord was not there when these three things happened. What's somebody's takeaway from that? Peyton? Uh, Peyton, what a, what a great thought. When you think about anxiety and depression, somebody give me some descriptive words of what anxiety and depression are doing. Let me go ahead and give you a couple. You give me a couple more. Um, when I think of anxiety and depression as far as what it's doing to you personally, I think of disruption. I think of disorder. I think of chaos. Give me some other words that, oh man, is Elijah not dealing with some discouragement right now? Negativity. It robs you of peace. Yes. You know, we've talked about these three things, worry, anxiety, depression, being in a gang of thieves, and, and that is one of the things that robs us of is of peace. Oh man, they, they are great liars, aren't they? There's all kinds of ways these three things that lie. They lie in in that there is no way out, there is no light at the end of the tunnel, um, nobody else around you is going to be able to help. There's all kinds of ways that, that these three things are capable of lying, no doubt. And Elijah's, you have a feeling the 8,000 that God refers to that have not bowed their knee to Baal, do you think Elijah's encountered a few of those folks, maybe in re very recent history? I have a feeling probably. Don't you think if you're one of the 8,000 hadn't bowed your knee to Baal, you hear about Elijah being around, you're going to look for an opportunity to have an interaction with him, a conversation. And Elijah being, being here, he's fighting the good fight. Um, I have a feeling, you know, he, he's interacting with some of these 8,000 here and there as he's journeying, but he's believing the lie right now. I alone am left. <clears throat> you can't see beyond the end of your hand, can you? Man, it is, yes, it is, you can't make sense of what's going on. You can't come up with some kind of plan. Um, the confusion is absolutely going on when we're, when we're being um, overtaken by one or all three of these things. Ma'am? Oh, <clears throat> absolutely. You know, we, we've mentioned before um, 
in, in other times in this class, you know, the, I mean, hope is one of those seven essential ones in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, you know, one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Um, we've talked before about which one of those seven things. Uh, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all is above all and through all and in you all. The seven ones of Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, which one of these, those seven can we live without and function? Can you live without the Father? Can you live without the Lord, the Son? can't live without hope. And worry, anxiety, depression, one of the things that they rob us of is that, is that sense of hope, that, that idea that this is seasonal, this is temporary, there's, there's going to be something better at the other end of this if I can just persevere, push on, and get through it. So I love this, Peyton. Going back to your, yes, coach. Compounding issues and problems come from sustained anxiety and depression. There's no doubt about it. Not only are there emotional consequences, but yet, Norman, just like you're saying, there are physical consequences. It does attack um, our body and our health, physically speaking. That's right. That's right. The people around you sometimes become collateral damage um, as a result of, of this this hopelessness that you feel, the, um, the ways that it's affecting your health in every way. Exactly. Brother Danny? Thinking about Naaman, the vessel that he carried of his leprosy. He expected the prophet to do some great thing and all this stuff. I was just backing up a little bit, not to back it up, but here we would look for God in all of these great things, earthquakes or storm or whatever, and yet... Yeah, it, it is just so beautiful to me. I love it. Peyton, like you said, it, it's manifestations of God's power, but um, that's not what Elijah needed right now. He did not need this uh, incredible... He, he had just witnessed an incredible showcase of God's power on the mountain a day earlier. He, um, he doesn't need that. Uh, he, he doesn't need more chaos, more disruption, more confusion, more destruction... Uh, what he needed was exactly what, and what I love, and, and Adam, I'll get to you here in just a second. I'll, okay, so at the beginning of this, God says to Elijah, go forth, stand upon the mount. And, and what I love is when you get to verse 12, after the earthquake of fire, when the Lord's not in the fire, after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, he wraps his face in his mantle and goes out and stood in the entering of the cave. Was Elijah where God had told him to be while all this is going on? Now, he may have started there, but if I'm Elijah and, and I do go out on the mountain and all of a sudden the mountain's getting blown into smithereens and fires are breaking out and earthquakes, guess where I'm headed? Back into the cave. Whoa, it is not safe out here. Um, so Elijah may have started where God told him to go, but where he was by the end of this showcase of all these things is he's back in the cave. He wraps his face in his mantle and he comes out and stood in the entering in of the cave. So he's coming from inside the cave to the opening of the cave. That's not where God told him to be at the beginning. Now again, he may have started there and retreated back into the cave when all of this chaos breaks loose. Um... But the still, small voice is what's representing the presence of God, which is exactly what Elijah needed at the time. Adam? Oh, yes. Yes. That beautiful way of, of describing this, this moment in Elijah's life. He, 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 so, 
So good, Adam. He did not need to know who God was. He'd already seen incredible manifestations of his power as recently as the day before. But he needed to know where God was, and he needed to see that other, that part of God that he so desperately needed right now. He needed that still, small voice. He needed order. He needed design. He needed calm. He needed peace. All those things that God is also capable of providing, Peyton, that he so desperately needed that you mentioned a moment ago. Neil? Absolutely, Neil. Is, um, you know, God is, is providing Elijah with, with the intervention um, right here. But like you said, um, sometimes we can provide the intervention for one another when, we're, um, when we know someone that is, that is dealing with uh, these emotions to the, to the depth uh, that they are now um, causing depression. I think about David and the intervention that he needed after he learned that his son Absalom uh, was dead. Uh, and you remember David was, he was mourning uh, to the extent that it was, it was affecting the morale of the entire army uh, of Israel. And um, you remember Joab basically just, just comes up to, to David and kind of gives him a pretty good dressing down. And basically says, David, you have got to get yourself together. I mean, the hearts of the people are basically melting because they're seeing their, their king, their, the leader of their army who's just, I mean, yes, grieve, mourn, you've lost a son, but you're going to have to uh, somehow be able to figure out a way to move forward, to go on and to continue to be uh, the leader that... Uh, God is calling you to be, and, and uh, Joab was that interventionist, if that's a word. And, and David kind of got his act together a little bit after that conversation. Eric, oh man, brother, what an um, amazing thing to think about. I've never really thought about that part of, of the transfiguration. And, you know, you, you, we often, when we talk about the Mount of Transfiguration, we're often, you know, talking about it, it's... It's the Lord's object lesson to Peter, James, and John of the supremacy of Christ over Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. But, man, when you think about that being another part of what's going on there, where Jesus is um, just getting that, that maybe very needed fuel to cross the finish line, that, that encouragement and motivation. You know, here's Moses and Elijah, part of that great cloud of witnesses that you know, are described in, in Hebrews chapter 12. And, and at this point, Jesus, while in the flesh, is maybe needing a, a little pep rally from a couple of the representatives from that uh, great cloud of witnesses. And to, and to think about um, Elijah's probably, you know, not having to remind the Lord, but just bringing up, you know, I, I remember when I was at my lowest, how the Father got me through it. And, um, and just, yeah, we know that you have what it takes to to do the finish this this mission that you've been sent here and and uh, you know the Lord allowing Jesus to um, experience a little taste of the glory that He had left. You know, I can't even begin to understand fully what's going on with this this um, transfiguration that Jesus has gone through. But uh, it's He is being allowed by the Father to to experience a little taste of some of the glory that that He emptied Himself of voluntarily to come to Earth. So. Just a, a beautiful thought there, brother. Thank you for that, to, to consider um, how they are, they are providing Jesus with exactly what he needs, that just extra fuel to get, get through these last few weeks of his earthly ministry.
Brother Eugene? Absolutely. That, that is, um, it's so encouraging, Peyton, to, you know, going back to that original email that you let us read for everyone, just the way that you fight and the way that you, you know, you, you realize that you may never get to the point where anxiety is never an issue, but, you know, with, uh, you know, with everything that you've done, um, everything between, you know, uh, counseling to the, all that you've done spiritually to, um, you know, train yourself to handle those moments, um, you, you, see, you see that hopefulness where there were probably times, and, and I think, uh, you know, you can infer that from some of that that you said in the email, that there were some periods of hopelessness, but you have that hopefulness. Um, that is a fantastic segue into what I wanted to share next. Um, there, there are some who absolutely, and, and this is a perfect, you know, what Peyton went through uh, with his heart issues when he was a young child is an example of some of the genetic tendencies that some people have towards anxiety. And um, coming from the book that, uh, that we pulled a few things out of last Wednesday, I wanted to share this with you. Um, even, when, even if we have a genetic tendency toward anxiety, does it mean that we are destined to live a life of anxiety and chaos? And Peyton, I think going back to the email that you shared with us, you, you've not resigned yourself to, well, you know, there, there's a, a genetic component to what I'm going through, therefore, this is my fate, this is my destiny, I'm just resigned. And, and you, you're living proof of, yes, I have some things beyond my control from a medical standpoint that contribute to, uh, you know, to my struggles, but I'm not going to allow them to define me. Um, and that's, that is possible for everyone. Um, and that, that's the hopefulness that, that I want us to get from this. Brother Eugene? <laughs> and, you know, some, um, there, there are some that, yes, they want basically a, um, here's my justification for uh, this being my cross to bear. Uh, I, it's never going to get better for me. I'm never going to work my way through it. This is, so here's what it was said uh, by this author. He says, genetics is a role player, but it is not the main actor in the story of your life. Genetics can make you inclined toward anxiety, but your genetics do not have to have the final word. He says this over and over again, and this is, again, someone, you remember last uh, week uh, I mentioned to you, he has suffered from it. Um, in a debilitating way for a certain period of his life. Um, he is now uh, through, through various things, medication for a little while, uh, other things. He, he is a man of faith, and uh, he's doing so much better now. A lot of his education is based on, uh, on this, this topic. Um, meds can be helpful and needed when anxiety and depression are based upon a chemical imbalance. We've talked about that. I, I would never uh, say to people, you, you can fix everything if you are... If you experience debilitating anxiety or depression, um, you, you can figure out ways to fix it with the help of God by no medication needed. I would never say that, um, especially with someone who is dealing with chemical imbalances or a, a health condition that, uh, that made them genetically predisposed to anxiety and depression. Um, what he has to say about meds... Uh, 
they, they are great if you're talking about chemical imbalance, internal problem, you know, like a heart issue or, or, or other things that can uh, lead to it, a chronic illness. He says, but meds are not the ultimate answer or solution for anxiety that are caused by other things. And this is kind of where we ended last Wednesday, that we went through it so super fast, and I wanted to kind of come back to it again tonight. Meds are not the ultimate answer or solution for anxiety caused by external problems such as toxic relationships, improper work-life balance, fast-paced lifestyle, unrealistic pressures and expectations, etc. You may be stuck in an unsustainable, overwhelming life, sucked into the chaos and disconnection of the modern world. Medication will not fix those things. Medication will only mask them or numb you to the effects of them. Anxiety meds can help turn down the alarm bells and allow you to catch your breath and do the deeper work of getting to the root cause of your anxiety. And then if that root cause is something that is not chemical, it is not internal, it's not a chronic illness, it's not um, these things that really med, meds may be the only thing that can really help get you through it. But if it's something else, if it's something that when, when you dig down deeply and you have that honest introspective look at yourself, you realize, okay, th this is a self-inflicted issue. This is a toxic relationship. This is my work-life balance is way out of whack. This is I'm way too busy. This is I'm allowing societal pressures to overwhelm me. Um, there are certain things that um, someone mentioned last Wednesday that, and, and my grandfather, maybe I've told this story before, um, the, the news was getting to him so badly when he was in his 40s um, that he developed an ulcer. He went, he went to the, the doctor, and he, he was worrying so much about the state of the world that it, it literally caused him to have an ulcer. So the doctor, I think, through a course of conversation, um, he realized he was basically harming himself by how much he was worrying about the state of the world and watching the news, and so... Once he stopped watching the news, he stopped having issues with ulcers. Others have talked about, uh, you know, what, what things like um, overstimulation do to uh, things that, that have a screen, whether it's a phone, a laptop, whatever. Uh, these things can, can produce anxiety. If you have an unhealthy relationship with those things, then it may be. And, and here's where I need to pause just for a second. Um, maybe a lot of us have gotten this mindset that when I text or call someone and I don't hear from them in five minutes, what in the world is going on? <laughs> I mean, what is the deal here? You, you may be texting or calling someone who they are deliberately, conscientiously taking time in the day and saying, this phone is going over here and, and we are decoupling. <laughs> I'm not going to have a relationship with my phone for this period of time during the day. And so maybe we need to provide grace to one another where if we don't hear from somebody in a few minutes, instead of saying, well, they're just ignoring my text, my calls, what in the world? I can't help with the nerve. Maybe it's for their health, for their mental health, for their physical health, they, they take some time deliberately to remove themselves from that device to provide themselves an opportunity to as the psalmist says, I think Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. Um, Adam, you had a great comment after class last Wednesday. Would you want to kind of insert that? I think this would be a good time for that. If, if you, I don't want to go ahead and share that one with us. That, that is so well said, and, and yes, um, 
I remember Adam saying to you afterwards, I said, man, I was thinking specifically about some people that I thought about that needed to hear what, what you said, and that is so, um, so spot on. There was a book that was written a few years ago called The Christian Atheist, and the premise of the book was people who call themselves Christians, but they live like atheists. Um, and and I, there, I think there are Christians, and, and I mean, these are, we're talking about the cream of the crop here, but there are Christians who, they don't believe in works-based salvation, but they live like they believe in works-based salvation. It's like, I, I have got to every time there, there's a church function, I got to be there. Every time somebody needs food, I got to be the one cooking it. Every time, just, I mean, Adam, you, you stated it perfectly. I'm not going to restate what you just said, but uh, not, we can allow not just societal pressures, work pressures, but sometimes um, th- this pressure to think, I have got to be all, do all um, in, in the, the church environment as well. So um, really, really great. It's just um, you know, we, we've talked before, uh, well, I mentioned the illustration, it's not original to me, but they said a lot of times church is um, like a football game where there's 70,000 people in desperate need of exercise watching 22 guys in desperate need of rest, and, and so, you know, the, the 22 that are in desperate need of rest, they, they need to thank you for your work, thank you for your, your service, thank you so much, but, but take Take those times to, to rest when you need to, um, and don't, we know, that, uh, that's, that's, I think that's enough on that, but that's just fantastic um, thought there, Adam, and I appreciate that very much. We have a, a lot of um, societal and cultural pressures, and we mentioned this briefly last Wednesday, to, to do it all, have it all, be it all. Um, that, that is how success is measured in, in this country. We think we've got to have our kids involved in everything under the sun where, where they have some schedule activity from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. We, we think that, you know, we've got to get our kids in, into particular schools and extracurricular activities and all these things we've got to accomplish. And then w- when you look at it from a spiritual standpoint, so many times we're allowing ourselves to get stressed out and burdened down and overwhelmed and anxious about things that are not going to amount to the proverbial hill of beans a hundred years from now. And so part of what maybe causes some of us anxiety is this, um, this allowance that we have uh, allowed ourselves to get sucked into this false premise that society is um, presenting to us that you got to do it all, be it all, have it all. YOLO. I mean, y'all heard that acronym? You only live once. So, man, just pedal to the metal, do all you can, be all you can, have all you can. For the Christian, this is, this is all this is is the training ground. I mean, it's, to put it in a baseball vernacular, all this is is spring training. You don't start playing the ball games until you get to heaven. That's when the season starts. All this is is spring training. And so let's not get so burdened down by these expectations of society around us that um, we have these alarm bells going off, these anxiety alarm bells. And, and those alarm bells are signaling, signaling us to the smoke, to the fire that's, that's in our internal ecosystem, and we do everything but address the source of the problem that's causing the alarm 
um, diagnoses for anxiety disorders are not as exact a science as we talked about this briefly last Wednesday, as strep cancer, so forth. But even if the diagnosis is accurate, in other words, you have a, a scientifically accurately diagnosed case of anxiety disorder or manic depression or whatever it is. Um, what the author said about that, even if the diagnosis is accurate, in other words, the dragon is given a name. So th this, this thing that is just causing you all these, these mental and emotional problems, it doesn't mean the dragon gets to move in and live with you. All right, just because it's been um, recognized as existing, okay, it is real. Yes, you, you have an anxiety disorder or you have um, manic depression. It, it is legitimately diagnosed. It still does not mean that it gets to move in and live with you. You do not have to keep it as a pet or have its face tattooed on your arm. If you come to believe that anxiety is your identity, you'll eventually believe it is your destiny. Anxiety does not have to be forever. And that was the point that this author hammers over and over again. This does not have to be a death sentence, if you will, even if you have been accurately diagnosed by a medical professional that you have some kind of, it does not mean, okay, now this is my identity and I am now destined to live a life where I am now anxiety and depression are on top of the pile. I'm never going to be able to get on top of the pile and they're underneath and, and I'm keeping them at bay. They're always going to be on top and in charge and I'm just along for the ride. It does not have to be that way. Anxiety is not something you are. It is something you move through and experience. Your identity does not rest in the worst thing that ever happened to you or that you did. Um, Peyton, I remember in your, your thoughts that you shared with us, sometimes what fuels anxiety and depression, we, we used the illustration last Wednesday with um, you know, the way the Lord described a day in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So every day is going to have its own challenges. I mean, I'm driving down the road um, yesterday. I've been, you know, all over the place, and somebody pulls up beside me and says, hey, man, you're, uh, you're, your back left tire's flat. I hadn't even felt it yet. And then I'm at, the, at a, a light that just turned green. The guy behind me is honking, and, you know, I, oh, and immediately I start feeling the, I mean, so, you know, you, you can just be, everything's going great one minute, and, you know, you got issues the next. There are other things going on, Peyton, that, uh, that, that besides just the flat, but um, nothing bad. So thank you for your, your hope of good luck that it wasn't anything major. It was just a few other little, little things that had to be done while the, the tire was getting replaced. Um, I do need to say, I thank the Lord for this. I didn't even know I had road hazard on that tire. I didn't have to pay for the tire just for road hazard on the next tire that they put on there. So, man, I was... I didn't even tell you about that, when So, I, whoo, man, I was really, really excited. I didn't even remember getting road hazard on the tire, but man, well, I was glad I had it. Um, okay, so sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then Neil, I'm going to get you. So what anxiety and depression do is, is you take your regrets from the past, dump them in the sack. You take your worries about the uncertain future, dump it in the sack. So now instead of carrying a day's worth of issues and problems, which is sufficient in and of itself, Jesus says. Now you've slammed this bag full to overflowing with regrets from the past and worries about the future. That's an uncarryable load. You, you cannot, and, and a lot of times what causes anxiety, depression, 
you keep, your mind keeps running back to that thing you did, that thing you said, that, that sin you committed. The Lord does not look at us. He, he does not base our identity on the worst thing that we've ever done. Thank the Lord for that. And I put in, in, in my notes as I was reading this part of the book that think about Lot. We've talked about him before. And there's not one good thing written about Lot in the book of Genesis. And yet Peter, four times through inspiration, refers to him as righteous Lot. Four times. And I've, I've mentioned this before. I can picture Peter, you know, it, he's taking dictation from the Holy Spirit and righteous Lot, righteous Lot, righteous... And I'm sure Peter, all Peter's got the Pentateuch, you know, as far as his knowledge and information not through inspiration is concerned concerning Lot. Now, I can just picture Peter Stomper thinking, wait, did, did I just, did my mind just kind of wander for a little bit? We obviously, we're talking about someone else now. Who, who is it? It's not righteous Lot. Who, who do I need to be writing down? No, no, the Holy Spirit, righteous Lot, four times. Lot was not, God did not look at Lot as the end-all, be-all, being all these horrible things we read about him there was a Paul Harvey rest of the story, obviously, about Lot that we don't have through inspiration that the Holy Spirit provided for Peter and provided for the rest of us. We're not the sum of the worst thing we've ever done or said. God doesn't look at us that way. And yet, oftentimes, we look at ourselves that way. And it's a, one of the fuels for anxiety and depression. Neil, close us out, brother. That is great. You know, that kind of brings us back full circle as we close to right back to 1 Kings 19 where, you know, God has all these attributes. Sometimes his power is exactly what we need to, to see and be reminded of. But in this particular case, going back to what, what Adam said, that is not who God was is not what Elijah needed. It's, it's where God is. He needed that still small voice. He needed that part of God's nature. Um, rather than, than some of the other parts that, that he had experienced even as recently as the day before. Really fantastic um, thoughts and comments. If you've not read Psalm 46 in a while, if you are dealing with some anxiety, um, stress, worry right now, I'd encourage you to read that one before bed tonight. Right in the middle of that one is the be still and know that I'm God, but everything that comes before and after is awesome. And it just paints a very beautiful um, picture of, of hope and trust in that psalm, as do so many. Thank you. We'll pick back up there, Lord willing, I think in two Wednesdays. I believe singing night will be next Wednesday, if I've got my calendar straight in my head, and then we'll pick back up with this uh, two Wednesdays from now. Do what? All right, welcome to the beginning of the end. I asked Jason if I was supposed to do announcements at the beginning of the beginning or the beginning of the end, and we decided at the beginning of the end. So here we are. So the announcements for this evening are, welcome to the Wetumpka Church Christ. Uh, we'd like to have a record of your attendance if you're visiting, so please fill out one of those cards, and you can pass it to the center, but basically hand it to somebody that looks like they know what they're doing. And also the prayer request cards, the same uh, situation there. Uh, please stay for a few minutes after our assembly here. Uh, if you are visiting, we'd love to get to know you. And remember in prayer that uh, there's lots of folks undergoing cancer treatments, health problems, recovering from surgery, our military and shut-ins. And I uh, have a good friend that is my mom and dad's neighbor of 30-plus years, uh, and his wife passed away uh, Tuesday morning. 
So uh, please keep the Arledge family in your prayers uh, as they mourn the loss of uh, both a wife and a mom there. Uh, also, Miss Patsy Holm will have outpatient surgery on Thursday. So remember Miss Patsy uh, while she's doing uh, that on Thursday. Uh, a memorial service for Sayer Bowles, daughter of Jimmy and Gloria Bowles, will be here in the auditorium on Sunday afternoon at 2.30 p.m., uh, and that is open to everybody. It's not a private service. Uh, also, on Sunday here at the building, in the Fellowship Building, uh, Miss Hallie will have her uh, bridal, or bridal tea, Lord help us all. We're not, we're not doing that again. Uh, have her baby tea uh, on Sunday from 1 to 2.30 in the Fellowship Hall. She's registered at Amazon, Target, and the name dropper, and it's a boy. Let's give Jonathan our attention. Uh, let's see, let's see. God is as powerful today as he was when he spoke the world into existence. Um, God is as giving today as the day that he gave his son to die uh, in human form. Uh, we, should, we should pray as if these things are true. Uh, so what kind of attitude should we have when we pray? Let's examine our prayer life. Think about how you pray. Uh, as I go through these attributes, think about um, the way that you pray and how that maybe, maybe you and I could improve the way that we pray and, uh, and the attitude that we have as we pray. So how should we pray? We should pray in faith without doubting. James 1, 5-7 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask uh, God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive uh, anything from the Lord. God expects his children to pray without doubting, but how in the world do we do that? Um, I'm reminded of the man who had a son uh, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Uh, he had a son that was possessed with a demon. Uh, Jesus said, all things are possible to those who believe. Uh, then the man said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe we should take a note from this man and uh, pray that prayer when we start to pray sometimes. Help my unbelief. Um, number two, how should we pray? Only according to God's will. First uh, John five fourteen through fifteen says, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of. So when we pray with the attitude of God's will, not mine, uh, we are able to experience faith-building confidence uh, in the power of prayer. More and more I see uh, that when I pray specific prayers and see them answered, when I pray specific prayers according to God's will and see them answered, um, He answers them in the best way that I could even Better than I could even. Um, how should we pray? Uh, number number three, we should pray uh, persistently. Um, 
Luke 18 verses 1 through 8 talks about a, a woman who, who comes again and again to a widow, uh, a widow who comes uh, again and again to a judge who doesn't care about God or man. And because, he, because she keeps on coming to him and asking, please give me justice over my adversary, um, he finally caves in and says um, that uh, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I hope that's not how God uh, thinks about us. It's not. Uh, when we, when we um, are persistent in our prayers, God wants that. He commands that. Um, really, how, how much more uh, will the loving God of the universe listen to us and give us what we ask when we're persistent? He doesn't grow tired of us asking. We're persistent when we're hungry and we're thirsty and we're tired. Um, anybody who has children knows well the sound of, Mommy, Mommy, I'm hungry, or Daddy, Daddy, I'm hungry. Uh, they're not going to stop asking. Until they get fed, right? We should be the same towards God. We should uh, we should be persistent in our prayers until they're answered. Uh, let's see what what is another way that we should pray. Um, number four, un, unselfishly. James, uh, the last part of verse two and verse three says, uh, "You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly." To spend it on your passion. So when I think of unselfish prayer or unselfishly speaking to God, I think of Moses asking God to blot him out of the book of life instead of the Israelites. Um, we, we can do this. We can pray in an unselfish way so that we can, um, so that we can receive the things that we need so that others can receive the things that they need uh, and that we can uh, praise God in, in all of it. Uh, we should, number five, we should pray humbly. Uh, I'm reminded of the man who, uh, in Luke 18, 9 through 14, uh, beat upon his breast, the, the, the tax collector um, beat upon his breast and uh, said uh, he would not even raise his, his head to the, sky, he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, Jesus said that this man uh, went to his house justified, uh, so we should definitely humble ourselves. Remember what Jesus prayed on the cross, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a perfect example of humility and prayer. He was asking on the behalf of the ones literally killing him, uh, we should be able to humble ourselves in the presence of God in, in, in a fraction of the way that, uh, that Jesus did. If we humble ourselves in our prayers, God, God will answer our prayers. Um, let's see, if we build the rest of these attitudes toward prayer, uh, then we can pray, and the last point is boldly. Now, if you're anything like me, you might think at first that boldness is the opposite of humility. Um, but that's actually, it, it actually means that we can talk frankly or plainly uh, with God. It means that we can have the assurance that he will hear us and answer us. Um, you think about how, 
how frankly and plainly and and uh, how comfortably that Adam and Eve were able to talk with God in the Garden of Eden. And, and that's really what God wants out of us. He wants us to be able to talk with uh, He wants us to be able to talk with Him and uh, not only get what we need, but praise Him in, in the doing of it. And, uh, he wants us to praise Him. He wants us to thank Him. Uh, and He wants to bless us with blessings through prayer. Uh, first for this, uh, for boldly, Hebrews uh, 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, if you are in a time of need right now, um, I know, I know there's someone out there who is in a time of need. Uh, pray to God personally, and if it's if it's something that you need to do, uh, pray to God with the truth. Um, if if you haven't become a Christian, prayer alone is not enough. A lot of people will say, "Pray a sinner's prayer, uh, and you'll be saved." That's that's just frankly not in the Bible. Um, in order to become a Christian, we're told clearly in the Bible uh, to have faith in Jesus, repent of our sins, come confessing that Jesus is God's Son, uh, and be baptized for the remission of our sins. If you haven't done that, or if you need, uh, or if you are a Christian, and you need to repent of uh, sin known by others, please come now as we Trusting in His grace this hour, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain blowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are ye washed in the blood in the soul-cleansing blood? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy holy and righteous name. And Father, as we come to thee tonight uh, in prayer, we, we just pray that it is with a humble spirit that you would have us to, Father, with an always penitent attitude. And Father, a loving spirit for thee and for one another. We just thank you, Father, so much that we've had this opportunity to come together and meet as children of thine. And, and with friends, Father, to m meditate and think upon.